Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 138, Nudgy. No, I didn't say nuggy, I said nudgy. <laughs> How to influence people to make an optimal choice in the moment of truth. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. In episode 136, I shared how there are three secrets to effective content as part of a leadership or workforce communication strategy. Visual, sticky, and what I call nudgy. Now, we discussed the first secret in episode 127. Let's get visual, six engaging ways to use images. And we discussed the second secret in episode 136, sticky, seven keys to making people notice, care, and act. And here in episode 138, we'll discuss the third secret, nudgy. Nudgy is about nudging people toward an opposite, uh, toward an optimal choice when they hit the moment of truth. You see, we don't just want our communications to stick. We want to drive action. The final of the three secrets is nudgy. That means we apply evidence-based insights from behavioral economics to help our communications influence people to make an optimal choice in the moment of truth. This term nudgy I borrowed from the book Nudge by University of Chicago economist Richard Thaler. But there's a newer book on the subject that has more specific application to workforce communication. It's called The Power of 50 Bits by Bob Neese, who served many years as the chief scientist at Express Scripts. It's a fascinating, very helpful book, and I interviewed Bob for episode 29 of another podcast I do called Workforce Health Engagement. You can find that interview with Bob at our website, engagingleader.com forward slash WHE29, as in Workforce Health Engagement, episode 29. Now, picture this. Let's say I have good intentions. I'm only going to order a healthy salad for lunch today. But then I go out to lunch with you, and we sit down, you pick up the menu, and when the waiter comes, you order french fries and a large chocolate malt. What am I going to order? After watching you order that first, there's a good chance I'm going to go ahead and get the malt and fries myself. A key finding from the field of behavioral economics is that when you hit the moment of truth, most people tend to choose short-term gratification, even if it has negative long-term consequences. See, those long-term consequences is what makes me have good intentions. Yeah, I'm going to have a healthy salad today. But... The, the human, it's human nature that we, in the moment of truth, actually choose short-term gratification. And behavioral science is the field that studies how people make decisions or fail to make decisions in many cases. It affects a lot more than just, what am I going to order for my next meal? It also affects things like, am I saving for retirement or my kid's education? Uh, am I choosing appropriate investment options for my savings? Am I collaborating effectively with a diverse group of people at my workplace? Will I get enough exercise? Will I quit smoking? Will I choose a high-quality hospital or doctor or just go to somebody that's convenient or inexpensive? Will I make the right medical treatment options? Will I choose an appropriate drug or just pick the one that I see advertised 
on TV? What causes people to make the right choice in these cases? Well, we like to think that people's choices and actions are based on rational decisions, but the data shows that instead they mostly happen, these decisions mostly happen automatically, regardless of a person's best intentions. A lot of companies assume incorrectly that if we give people the right information and the right financial carrots and sticks, they will adopt smarter behaviors or healthier behaviors and make better choices. But findings from behavioral economics shows that most of these decisions are not based on logical thinking. Instead, they're based on subconscious rules of thumb that scientists call heuristics. And we're not talking about uneducated people or dumb people. We're talking about all of us, me and you. Whether we like to believe it or not, we all have these subconscious rules of thumb that determine most of our decisions and actions. In most cases, it's, there wasn't actually a decision made. Things just happen automatically. So th- today we're going to talk about three heuristics in particular that we can easily leverage in workforce communications for positive impact. So I'm saying that these heuristics often cause people to, through inertia or inattention, make poor choices. But as leaders, we can turn that around. If we are intentional and recognize that these heuristics exist in our workforce as well as ourselves, we can use them for positive advantage, for positive impact, and nudge people to make the right choices when they get to that moment of truth. The first of these three heuristics or rules of thumb is inertia. In other words, stick with status quo and what I know. Again, we don't see this. We like to believe it's not true, but it is true for me, it's true for you, and it's true for your workforce, your audience, that they just naturally tend to stick with the status quo and what they know. Now, how do we turn that around and leverage this as leaders? Well, we need to do that, we need to set a helpful framework that associates our message with something people already know or care about. So we set a helpful frame. To do that, we want to carefully choose the branding, the words, the metaphors, and the images we use. And we want to take the time to fine-tune the message and timing of our call to action. So words matter. The specific words that we use really does matter. And of course, so do images that would be associated with that. Let me share a quick story to explain this idea of setting a mental frame. Recently, my daughter Cecily has been choosing a college. Now, of her three favorite schools, two of them offered her nice scholarships, but her top choice did not. The admissions officer assigned to her at that school had a mental frame of Cecily as a transfer student. And they don't give nice scholarships to people who are already students at a different college who decide they want to transfer to their school. And we spent a lot of time trying to explain to this advisor that Cecily's situation is different. Don't think of her as a transfer student. That's not really the case with her. But it's really difficult to change a person's mental frame once they have it. And he said, no matter what arguments were, he said he had to follow follow the policy for transfer students. Sorry, just a 
small scholarship. So we contacted a different person at the school, and this time we intentionally started with a more helpful frame. And that was that Cecily is an overachiever. See, now both transfer student and overachiever are things that these admissions officers already know and connect with and care about. They care about overachievers. They want overachievers to come to their school, and they know about transfer students, although they don't particularly care about them. (laughs) So Cecily is an overachiever. Why is that? We, We weren't spinning something here. This was the truth. You see, Cecily finished high school in three years rather than four and spent what would have been her senior year taking classes at a nearby college. So when she goes to college in the fall, she's going to be the same age as all the other incoming freshmen. She was just an overachiever who got her high schooling done a bit quicker and then used the intervening time to take classes at a local community college. She's still planning on going to your school for all four years. And these other colleges recognize that she's an overachiever and they want her badly enough to offer great scholarships. So as you can imagine, that admissions officer immediately connected with that overachiever frame. It was something she already knew about. And she quickly offered Cecily a comparable scholarship. So in your leadership and workforce communications, don't leave the mental frame to chance. Be strategic and intentional about setting a frame that's helpful right from the start in nudging them to the optimal behavior. And leverage that inertia that we all have by setting the frame based on something they already know or care about. I'll give you an example. A lot of the times we're doing wellness communications for clients, and it's uh, easy to fall into the trap of talking about the latest nutritional information or the latest exercise information. And people just don't want to hear about diets. They don't, unless they're actively in the mode of, hey, I want to lose weight, I'm ready to go on a diet. Most people do not want to hear about diet and they don't want to think about the work of exercise or working out. But when you're talking to them in the context of work and you talk about energy and creativity and innovation, And how eating right is going to give them more energy and more creativity and more innovation. And how getting a bit of physical activity every day is going to also boost their energy, boost their mood, make them a better contributor at work, give them more productivity. Well, you can hold their attention for about 30 seconds and share what you want to tell them about in terms of nutrition or exercise. So you're setting a helpful frame that connects with something they already know or care about. The second heuristic is loss aversion. That comes down to the fact that losing hurts more than winning feels good. Losing hurts more than winning feels good. That's loss aversion. People will work a lot harder to protect the $10 that they already have than to go earn $10. It hurts a lot more to lose $10 that you already have, and you'll work a lot harder to protect that. Uh, It also happens in in terms of potential things or potential experiences. Just this week, my wife Erin was planning to take the kids to an event one evening. It was about an hour away. And uh, as they were getting prepared to go, somehow she got mixed up in her head what time the event was. And 
she took a fresh look at the clock and realized, oh, you know, we have time to go ahead and make dinner at home so we can have a healthy dinner and uh, be more relaxed rather than just picking up fast food on the way. And so she took the time and made dinner and we all sat down and ate. <laughs> and it's, during the dinner, they're talking about how great this event's going to be. And one of the kids says something like uh, about, um, you know, it's really funny. I, I guess I thought it started <laughs> at this earlier time. And Aaron said, no, no, it starts at such and such time. And she, as she was saying it, she got a little nervous look on her face and she jumped up and went over to the calendar and sure enough she had the time wrong and they were going to miss it they were by the time they could get out the door and drive over there they were going to be way too late for it to be worthwhile and she was so disappointed and upset just really bummed out now let me tell you something my wife Erin is an introvert nine times out of ten if you said to her hey honey Hey, Aaron, uh, let's go to this event. It, it, we would have to leave in a half an hour, and it's an hour away, and we're going to have a great time. She would say, no, i just you know, rather stay at home tonight. <laughs> so the, the idea of going and doing something uh, generally doesn't sound that good to her. Sometimes it does. But because when, when she suddenly realized that we, I was mentally committed to doing this, and now... I can't, and my plans are frustrated. That hurts. So losing hurts more than winning feels good. So people, this principle of loss aversion is the heuristic. People are into are hardwired to avoid losses, and that includes both real losses as well as just potential things. I could have been at that event tonight, but I missed it by that much. I sort of just got confused about the time. So as leaders, how can we turn that around and use that natural heuristic for a positive impact. Well, we talked about mental framing. We can frame our message based on what they'll miss out on or uh, some potential loss. We can also point out how others will be affected. We can use comparisons to frame trade-offs. And we can quantify the effects of behavior, of the, of the negative behavior that we want them to avoid. So let me give a few examples of these. One is uh, several years ago, a very large retail client wanted to increase how much people were contributing to their retirement savings plan. And so we did this real cool campaign. But the heart of it was this concept of we're giving away money and you're missing out. Because if they weren't contributing enough, they were missing out on the company match, which is essentially free money. So this frame of you're missing out was and it, it was very effective in getting people to increase their contribution savings rate. Had another client who uh, asked one their in their wellness program they wanted people to their employees to complete biometric screenings and also go through health improvement programs if their health screenings indicated that they had some potential risks. And if they did that, they would receive a five hundred dollar credit off of their healthcare premium contributions. So essentially, if you didn't take those steps to get the health screening, your health insurance was going to cost you $500 more per year. So we had a graphic, a communication with a graphic that showed money being thrown away if they didn't do that. Those were a couple of very direct examples of loss aversion. Another example that uses loss aversion in a more subtle way is also about biometric screenings. A different client 
we did some communications where we were conjuring the painful thought that death or health problems could cause you to miss out on important moments in the lives of your loved ones. So, for example, we showed an image of a little girl in a, like a flower girl dress at a wedding. And the free caption says, Daddy, I can't wait for you to walk me down the aisle. So why are you waiting to get your health screening? And then there's this cute little boy with uh, his baseball hat on and cap on and, and, and holding a baseball glove and a ball. And he says, I can't wait for you to see me hit my first home run. So why are you waiting to get your health screening? So that's the second of the three heuristics, loss aversion. And the third is social norms. Fit in with what others do. Now, I know some of you are already thinking, nah, I don't do that. I don't worry so much about fitting in with what others do. And I would say the same thing myself. But the data shows countless ways in which we don't realize it, but we're actually fitting in with what others do. (laughs) So I'm sure there are areas in life when you and I both make conscious decisions to go our own way and be your own person, but there are countless other ways in which we're also sort of automatically just doing what others do. It takes a lot of mental energy to go a different direction, to swim against the crowd. How do we leverage that? Well, one way as leaders to turn that around, we can leverage that by using personal stories. Also, branding is one aspect of a social norm because the brand we create is creating a communal kind of social experience. We can also normalize our messaging, which just means say it in a way that makes it sound normal instead of something new and unusual that we're asking people to do. We can also report on what others are doing, report the overall participation. You know, three out of four people are already doing this. And then also providing, uh, showing leaderboards So in the workforce, who are the people that are already doing the kind of exemplifying the behavior that we're talking about? Here's an example of using social norms. This specifically involves senior leaders sharing their personal stories. In the podcast episode 27 on workforce health engagement, I interviewed Mark Snyder, who is the benefits director at Owens Corning, about engaging senior leaders as spokespeople in wellness communications. And we talked about how we provided coaching to help the senior leaders share personal stories about their health journey. And when they talked about their own journey, it showed that from the very top of the company, this is an employer that cares about people being intentional about improving their health. These executives shared that they struggle with the same types of images as everyone, the same types of issues as everyone else. And that communicated that the social norm within Owens Corning is to keep taking steps toward healthy living. Now, most of that storytelling was just done in person, but we also did some other things, like we created a a a video that um, showed one of the senior leaders talking about how for several years he had lost the habit of getting physical exercise and how that was starting to catch up with him. And so he chose to get back into the habit. And it was difficult to do and kind of slow and one step forward, two steps, or two steps forward, one step back kind of deal. But eventually he got to where he had a, a daily habit of getting physical exercise. We also had another um, executive sharing about why and how he quit tobacco after 20 years of smoking. 
That was a really good interview with Mark Schneider. If you're interested in checking that out, you can find it on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash WHE27, as in Workforce Health Engagement, episode 27. It's called How to Engage Senior Leaders in Wellness Communications. All right, Engagers, this is going to wrap up this episode. Today we talked about how to use communications to leverage these three heuristics or subconscious rules of thumb that influence everyday decisions of people. Inertia, loss aversion, and social norms. If we do that, it's going to result in nudgy communications, helping us influence people to make an optimal choice in the moment of truth. And nudgy is one of those three secrets of effective content as part of our leadership or workforce communication strategy. Visual, sticky, and nudgy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out, find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harris and our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. 